Hey folks, uh, Ian here. Um, I'm um, kind of editing the show and whatnot this week, so that's why uh, Mark's not uh, uh, with me on this one. Uh, just a quick note to say that um, the show will be released in two parts this week, as I'm sure you can tell from the episode title, frankly. Um, we've got like uh, the, the way our storage works with the podcast provider works. Uh, we get a certain amount of space in a rolling month that we can upload files onto and the, 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 the whole thing was uh, too big. So uh, you're going to get part one now and you're going to get part two of our year in review show in um, a couple of uh, days time. So uh, on this show, you're going to get roughly half the show and then on the next show, the next. But I'll uh, do a little wrap up at the end. So uh, I hope you enjoy. Right, hello folks, and welcome to episode number seven of Dude and a Monkey. Uh, I'm driving the bus uh, this episode. Uh, my name is Ian Loring, and this week, as always, I am joined by... Mark Foster. Indeed. So, yeah, absolutely. So, um, we are back for the new year. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our Alex Cross uh, commentary track as much as uh, we re- uh, enjoyed recording it. And uh, we're going to hit you... Um, it's another show that's not going to be in the usual format. We will be back to that next week. But uh, we're going to wrap up 2012 uh, in our own styles, with, uh, so with a review of 2012 show. Um, for those of you who've listened to 35mm Heroes and heard my list, A, uh, my list is ever so slightly changed, and B, I'm sober tonight. So um, 
Mark, I know you're going to listen to 35mm Heroes probably in the next couple of days. I get very, very drunk as the <laughs> list goes on. So uh, I am sober and drinking decaf coffee tonight, so I'll actually be able to get my words out. So um, it, to be honest, in terms of my list talk, I think you're probably going to get better value here unless you want to hear me say cunt a lot. Um, I remember using that word a lot on uh, 35mm Heroes. Anyway... Uh, and also, as well, just for sort of parity's sake, I would say I purposely not listened to uh, 35mm Heroes end of year show yet because I didn't want to hear uh, Ian's top 10 because I want to be as surprised as everybody else uh, listening to it. So I have no idea. I have, I have ideas of what might be in his top 10, but I have no idea what is actually in his top 10. Yeah, and, and to be honest with, with Mark, I have, I have a couple of ideas, but I'm not... I'm not super 100% there at all. So yeah, this 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 should be a lot of fun actually. Now, um, the way we're going to structure it, we're going to break it up a little bit. Um, the, I suppose the main through line of the show will be our uh, top tens of the year, but uh, we're going to intersperse it with our top five uh, disappointments, uh, our top five pleasant surprises, and also our worst films of the year. So uh, we've got a lot to get through. Uh, now you can contact us at dudeandamonkey at gmail.com or you can contact us on Twitter at, at dudeandamonkey and we've got some uh, feedback to talk through at the end of the show. One other note as well, uh, if I sound a little bit under the weather it's because I am and uh, I'm going to try and mute the mic as much as possible when I'm doing this but you may hear me blowing my nose during the show so uh, apologies but I'm, I, I am. Uh, my nose is, is running quite a bit so uh, apologies. But, um, Mark, did you have uh, anything else you want to say, or shall we get into it? Let, let, let's fuck this shit up. Yep, absolutely. Let's bend it over and, and uh, take it downtown to Brown Town. Uh, let's start with Mark, uh, obviously, because uh, it's either going to be you or me. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> fucking hell. Um, like I was saying it like I was picking out from a, from a random assortment of people. I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to start by asking you, what was your number 10 film of 2012, sir? Well, the, the, the first one, my number 10, that I'm going to bend over is um, Dread is my number 10 of the year. Um, I always like to reserve my number 10 spot for a film that, that is just pure enjoyment. You know, I think you have to have at least one a year um, in your top ten. It's just a pure enjoyment factor film. You know, it's got no great messages to send. You just watch it and you smile. And I watched Dread only a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, just before Christmas. In fact, I think I watched it on Christmas Eve, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure what's the dim before Christmas Eve. Watched it on the 23rd. Good Christmas uh, treat. And, yeah, it was like a Christmas treat with Dread. Um, I... I'm one of these people, I'm a complete Sylvester Stone apologist, so I love Judge Dredd, the film, um, so I was actually really looking forward to Dredd. Um, what I wanted was a hyper-violent, um, real kind of gutsy film um, that felt a lot like um, its source material, that felt a lot like the 2000 AD comics. So I wanted it to be over the top, I wanted it to be graphic, I wanted Dredd to be gruff and gnarly, I didn't want to see his face for a start off. I didn't want the costume design to get in the way of everything else. I just wanted it to look nasty. I wanted it to feel stupid in a way. Uh, it's comic, but comic, it's the comic. It's not a stupid comic, but if you portray a a film like it's a comic book film, um, it, it looks it looks 
stupid in a way. It, it looked different. Uh, and I wanted that. I wanted people to look at it and go, well, that looks ridiculous. Of course it looks fucking ridiculous. It's based on a comic. It's not, not based on what is actually going to happen in the future. And I got everything from that. Also, as well, I'm a huge, huge album fan. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I just love Dread. It, it ticks all the boxes for me. Yes, it was very similar in, uh, in tone and feel to another film that was released this year. Uh, but to be honest, I don't care if every few years, you know, we get a British film that looks, feels, and appears like Dread is. I'll be very, very happy. I thought it was a great film, and I would absolutely watch another one. And I, I hope that its its perceived poor box office doesn't let it down. I think it was it was badly marketed in the US. I think it did okay over here, and there was plenty of marketing over here. But I think it's a great film. Uh, so do I. It's going to come up later. So is it? I... all right. Well, we'll talk about it more later. Right. Um, Ian, what is your number 10 of the year? Okay, my number 10 of the year, and uh, this is my final definitive list. I'm not changing my mind on my list, I swear. My number 10 is Ben Affleck's Argo, <clears throat> which uh, is, you know, it, 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 it almost sounds like damning with faint praise to say that it is just basically Hollywood mainstream filmmaking at its most efficient kind of economical way of, of telling a story. And I mean, in less than two hours, Ben Affleck uh, crafts a tale which uh, combines very, very tense real life situations with fanta- kind of a, a slightly more fantastical dramatic license, especially in, in, in the third act, but makes it, to feel okay with the setting and with the fact that it is like based in Hollywood and it's this weird uh, combination of Hollywood storytelling and real life, which in its actual in in, in its the fibre of its own being it is as well, and so it kind of is made out like that. It, it almost meta in a way in in, in that extent. Uh, Affleck uses a cast of uh, familiar faces, but also um, slightly hey that guy kind of guys. I mean, uh, including um, Scoot McNary, uh, who broke out uh, along with his uh, real life wife Whitney Abel in Monsters, and uh, has had a good year. He's uh, he's very very good in killing me, uh, killing them softly. Uh, he's he's pretty good in this as well. Uh, a little less to the foreground here, but um, still very good. And apparently he's in that new Gus Van Sant film, Promised Land, as well. So he's having a good one. Um, but then, I mean, like, you've got Claire Duval, who barely pops up in anything these days. And she's... Yeah, she, had a, she had a period, didn't she, in the kind of mid to early noughties where she was in fucking everything. Yeah. Ex- I mean, she did use the crop up in a lot and like the only things I remember her being in recently are Zodiac towards the end. She's the uh, prisoner who uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal interviews, um, and and this like I don't really remember her really being in anything. But yeah, you're exactly right. It's just one of those ones that she was like hot and then just like kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, so I mean, you've got the, these interesting ones, but then you know you've also got Brian. I was in everything in 2012, Cranston. And, uh, you know, Alan Arkin and John Goodman, just a really, really solid cast. And Ben Affleck is good as well. He doesn't um, 
he doesn't overtake proceedings. Uh, his character is a little bit of a, a of a cipher, but he's got just about character depth uh, depth to make it okay for him to be the ostensible lead character. Um, uh, overall, yeah, uh, had an awful lot of fun with it, and the, but the tense sequences do work as well. And uh, yeah, um, number ten's Argo, and I'm glad it's in my list. Right. What I'll say now is good time for me to say uh, there's a couple of um, films that I didn't just didn't have time to catch. Argo was one of them. I have a feeling it might have been in my top ten. So I haven't seen Argo. I haven't seen it more, uh, and I haven't seen Holy Motors. They're the they're the three ones that I think might have that, that I would expect to be challenging my top ten had I actually seen them. Yeah, but that's happened, unfortunately. That's fair enough. I mean, I, I, I will say as well, I'm, uh, just before we continue, I suppose maybe we should have said this stuff at the start, but never mind. Uh, personally, I'm basing my list on films I saw in 2012, which either got a theatrical release in 2012 or are going to get a, re- a theatrical release in the future. Now, it just so happens every single one of my films in the top 10 got, in my top 10, got a theatrical release in the UK this year, but, um, like, for instance, Lincoln is in my top 20. It's coming out in a few weeks. It's not on here. Uh, Django and Tre- Chained, Zero Dark Thirty, etc. Uh, I have not seen them yet. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, so things like that. I mean, did you kind of base your list on that kind of criteria, Mark? Yeah, my criteria uh, that I always put on my list is it has to be released in <laughs> 2012 um, or I have to have seen it in 2012 if it's sort of like an early sort of like I mean, for instance, I have a couple of films that I'm not going to release yet that I've seen at festivals, etc. Um, but also, well, then I can't count them for next year's, uh, which leads actually into one of my ones, my next one, actually, um, seamlessly, my number nine. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, is a film that many would perceive as being a 2011 film, but it wasn't actually released until 2012, and I watched it for the first time in 2012. Um, my, and I know you're a fan of this film, and it was it was quite high up in your list last year. Um, it's number nine on my list, um, which which seems like it's quite low. Um, I, I have a feeling this will move, would move up my list on persistent watches, but I quite simply haven't had, I haven't let it, I haven't got over watching it the first time to watch it a second time yet. Um, so, uh, and also as well, I, I, my list is a fucking strong list this year. I think it's been an exceptional year, but we'll talk about that later. My number nine is um, Steve McQueen's Shame. Um, okay. Also, I've I noticed here that this is uh, my ten and number nine already are both British films, which is which is very surprising. They're not dour kitchen sink bullshit British films. They are proper British filmmaking. Um, Shame, obviously, is the uh, Michael Fassbender, Kerry Mulligan starring film where Michael Fassbender is Brandon, who, who is a very successful guy, very good-looking guy, who happens to be tormented by uh, a sexual addiction. Um, it's, it is, without question, I think, very much a performance piece. And if you, if you take on the performance of Michael Fassbender, which I think is very, very difficult to not take on a performance that is that, wonderful then it, it, it'd be very hard to find any fault in the film uh, it is beautifully shot by Steve McQueen his second film uh, he obviously has a very strong eye for the uh, visuals and for making things stand out and you can tell that he is a photographer because his use of light 
his, his exceptional part in the film, but also his, the way that he weights the film is he, very good. It's very, there's a lot of very kind of, it's, it's short, snappy scenes of, of what is seemingly not a lot, but they create the tension that is built up in the, the longer scenes, which are the more pensive scenes. Uh, and that's that's kind of um, feed, I think, into the addiction thing. You know, people who suffer from addictions have that, it's that constant knocking that, you know, the addiction's always down. It's a constant knocking that when they're not indulging in that addiction, um, they're trying to keep themselves busy to either not, fall into that addiction or because they're waiting for their next fix of sorts mm. and I think that's that's what happened with that film it, it's, it also contains one of the most incredibly haunting scenes of, of the film where you get um, Michael Fassbender goes to the pier towards the end of the film and just, just breaks down uh, and it's just the fact that he can't talk to anybody about this, he can't do anything about it, he doesn't really understand it, he doesn't like it um, and it's just, it's a complete breakdown of, of himself um, it, it's an addiction where it, it's often s not sneered upon but it's it's a harder one to understand than a drug addiction or a um, alcohol addiction or anything like that um, and so I think it it's the first time it's really been dealt with in film like this. You know, you had a few years ago the film Choke, which is a brilliant film, but that's very much a black comedy. Um, and Shane wasn't Shane was very much a a stripping down and saying, look, this is how this is how this addiction breaks down. Not this guy's life, but him as a person. Um, a lot of people seem very aggrieved um, that uh, Michael Fassbender wasn't even nominated for an Academy Award and didn't win one. Um, really, based on the content of the film, there was absolutely no way an Academy was going to uh, nominate him. It, it, would, no it would take a far edgier a bunch of people to, exactly. to, to actually do that, yeah. I mean, it's something crazy, like, like 40 or 50% of Academy members are over the age of 65, mm -hmm. so... It's a very graphic film, it's a very unforgiving film, and it's a very, very exceptional film. Kerry Mulligan, I think, is also very, very good in it. But I just think that this is this is very much a, a, a character piece. It is... It, it, it's similar, in a way, to, to Taxi Driver, I think, in the fact that it's a very good film, but the film is weighted by that performance by Fassbender. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, even, I mean, I, I I will say, I mean, I like the little kind of flourishes that um, McQueen kind of does, which which aid his performance. Like, um, uh, well, Kerry Mulligan singing New York, New York, and it's just like focusing on the face. Uh, I, I think is a, a a great moment, and also the kind of uninterrupted like two or three minute take as he's just jogging. Yeah. Those are great, the, the great moments because of the moments where he kind of he has that mo those moments of levity. I know a few people have problems with the with the with the length of the scene uh, of Kerry Mulligan singing. The fact that that McQueen gives us the whole song. Um, and I, I, I saw some people for some reason took um to that, but it, to get the emotional weight of 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 Fassbender's reaction to it, I think you have to have the whole song. Otherwise, it wouldn't... I think a lot of people's 
problem with that sometimes is that is quite an emotional moment and some people when a film makes them have an emotional reaction to yeah. it that isn't fear or isn't laughter that's kind of a different emotion that they're not used to it's kind of their their natural reaction to it is to kind of either poke fun at it or to to belittle it because it, it elicited that reaction well, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It, it, it's one of those ones where it depends what you actually come to, uh, what you actually come to films for. I mean, going on a slight tangent, I was in work today, and um, one of my workmates. You know, I'm, I, I'm sure, like many people listening to this, are like this, like I'm the one where people say, "Oh, I watched this last night. What did you think of it?" And yeah. uh, she watched Martha Marcy May Marlene on um, on on Sky Premier, and she was just saying about how shit it was because like nothing really happened. You know, and it's just like, okay, well, you know, and it, it, you know, in a way, fair enough, because you like, she obviously goes to films for switch off brain and entertainment, you know, but I mean, it, it's 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 one of those things like your your reaction to films, are, it, oftentimes is is based entirely on what you kind of expected going in, whether you know what the what the film is or not. Like she obviously just thought, well, I don't know what the fuck she thought Martha Marcy made Marlene was going to be if she saw any of the advertising for it. But um, yeah. and, I mean, it's, it's 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 like that with shame, I suppose. I mean, like when it came out, I remember that it was basically, oh, yeah, it's that film where Michael Fassbender is revealed to have a massive cock. And yeah. it, it it's almost like, I don't know, it was weird. People talking about it kind of almost like re- like reverted back to that, like almost because they were uncomfortable talking about the film itself. Um, I, I yeah, I don't know. That's, that's very interesting. I, but I've still only seen Shame once, and I need to. Uh, I definitely yeah, need to rewatch it again. That's it. I, I've still only seen it once, and it's it's not because it's I mean, the amount of shame I have watched more than once um, this year. Uh, and, and I mean, I've watched some. You know, I've, I've, I think I've watched Horrible Bosses two, three times this year. That's not a good film. And mm. um, so I, it's not that I haven't had time. It's just that. It, once you've watched it once, it's the sort of film you certainly have to be in the right frame of mind to watch. Totally. Uh, and I haven't been in that frame of mind since. I, I, it's the sort of one where one night I'll go, you know what, I'm, I'm not ashamed. And it'll probably be at about 11 o'clock on a fucking Saturday night or something like that. No, right in. Should we go and say what's your number nine? Yep, yeah, sure. Uh, my number nine is a film that... Um, it kind of only really started going on my my list when um, when I really really started thinking about about my top ten and and just like kind of feats of filmmaking how and how they actually managed to to pull things off and it's a film that's one of the most entertaining films of the year for sure and I but at the same time I can understand. Like precisely why it's not getting that or like any kind of awards talk or anything like that. But then again, it is the third biggest film of all time in the international box office, not adjusted for inflation. Uh, my number nine is J- uh, Joss Whedon's uh, Marvel Avengers Assemble, uh, if you want to give it its full UK title, um, which is just like I, 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 I was saying to Nolan for if I'm to Heroes the other day. Like I really like uh, Marvel Avengers Assemble, which I'm going to I insist on calling it. Uh, just to highlight how fucking stupid that title is. Um, like somebody like Noel, who's been reading comics since like year dot, to have the the set the level of anticipation that people obviously had for this, 
and then have it work out as ridiculously well and make it look like it was the easiest thing in the world as well takes real skill and i do have i i I still think that it is a little bit too long and the second act could have done with some trimming but i'm giving this a place in my uh, in my top 10 a because it's ridiculously entertaining um all, all the character dynamics work. I think they give the emphasis on the like the right amount of emphasis on the right characters. You know, like they don't try and build up Hawkeye and uh, Black Widow too much. And slight spoiler alert: um, turning. Oh, by the way, should, should we just get? Should we just, should we just say with spoilers? There probably are going to be some spoilers during this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And as well, I, I think the Avengers. I think you can spoil the shit out of that because it, it, it took. One and a half billion. I think every fuck has seen it. Hasn't yeah, exactly. Now, um, I, I, so yeah, exactly. But I mean, the the idea of having Hawkeye basically be a bad guy for half the film, um, that's I I think that's a good idea. And the kind of interactions between him and Black Widow as a result, Whedon knew okay, they're not going to be the big front and center action stars. Let's at least give them something interesting to chew over with each other, and uh, I, you know, I think that works well. Uh, the action sequences are uh, well done, even if the Chitari are not the most inspiring enemies in the world. Um, it, it just like the the sheer like ambition that this film had and actually somehow managed to hit. It, it, it I mean, it was a Herculean effort and well done Joss Whedon and also well done Marvel Studios for letting Joss Whedon kind of do his thing as well um like it's like uh Warner Brothers with uh Christopher Nolan they kind of let him do his thing but now Warner Brothers are basically with the DC Comics universe going to try and uh basically control it all whereas like the idea of Joss Whedon just and even to an extent Mark Millar with the Fox Marvel movies being the creative godfather and kind of like dipping his toe into into all of them, but only majorly featuring in like the big ones, uh, is an interesting idea. And also, uh, you know, good for Disney because it seems like they're letting Marvel Studios do their thing. So um, I don't know. It's it's big budget commercial and like ridiculously commercial filmmaking, which also happens to be a genuinely good film. And uh, you know. Fair play. That's so. Yeah, Avengers, uh, Marvel Avengers Assemble, my number nine for the year, and good on it. I I, I have issues with it. Fair enough. Um, but what I will say is, my I watched 150 plus releases for last year, um, and it is it, it's I've, I've ranked them all. They're all ranked from number one to, to I think number 152. I think it is. Nice. Um, it's in my top 30, so I didn't dislike it, without question. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, I thought it was very good, but I, the couple of issues that, that I had with it, just to play devil's advocate a little bit, I, I, it's too long. It is yeah, too I, long. I, yeah, that, last, that last sort of battle scene, um, you don't need to keep... It, it repeats itself three or four times, um, and that I was starting to go... Yes, very good. I, I can see Iron Man flying across buildings. I've, I've just seen it. Oh, there he goes again. There, that's now seven times I've seen it in the past three minutes. And it just it went on. That went on for a little bit too long. Also, as well, um, 
because villains were shit. Um, sure. Tom Hiddleston, I think he's he's been my favourite thing about um, all the Marvel and so far. I think he's been brilliant as Loki. I think he's a great villain, but he's not scary. I don't know what his point is at all. Um, all they seem like is they're just intergalactic jerks. There's nothing else about them. They're not. They don't seem to be doing anything other than just trying to be jerks. And also as well, the the big one that. And it, it, it's a nitpicking, this one. It's a, a complete me going, hang on a minute. Um, constant, oh, you know, um, look, at, look at the pattern that Joss Whedon created for, for, for Iron Man. But that's what people loved about the first Iron Man movie. You know, he didn't create that Iron Man character. That Iron Man character was there, and Robert Downey Jr. ran with it. Yes, my dialogue's very good, but also the constant nicknaming everybody got fucking boring. Um, and the fact that the last one is for uh, Hawkeye and he calls him Legolas, I just thought that was a little bit like, that was a bit obvious. And actually, it made me go, oh, fucking come on. But then again, what I will say is for the first hour and a half, I thought it was brilliant. I was fucking loving it. And then it just, it just dipped a little bit too much for me. At the first hour and a half, I was thinking, this is great. This is going to be in my top five. And then for me, it just it, it dragged too much after that. Uh, but like I say, I, I, I'm nearly, I think, playing devil's advocate on this because it, it, it's still better than the majority of stuff I've seen and still counts as a success. And like you say, you know, for, for the, a pull together, that many big, huge franchise uh, characters is is phenomenal and for it to work as well as it did because that could have fallen flat on its ass and it didn't it was without question a success and I think it's great that so many people loved it I'm never going to criticise people for liking a film uh, unlike the majority of people who seem to really like Avengers seem to anytime they say they like it they seem to caveat that by saying yeah I like it Unlike the Dark Knight Rises, it's like, all right, very good. Yeah, you don't have but... to qualify liking the Avengers, but I'm not liking the Dark Knight. You know, you, you could like both. Yeah, the the ownership of one thing over the other is is something that kind of baffles me to this day. I mean, Dark Knight Rises, it's my number twenty of the year. You know, it um, I. It's just, I don't think it, it, I don't think anything could have had the seismic impact that The Dark Knight did. Uh, but it, like The Dark Knight Rises, I just, I, you know, Bane's not as engaging a villain. Um, it, it, it I don't know, it, it, it's, the, the pacing is a little, it will come later. That I think it needed to be. So, it, it, it comes up later. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Fair enough. All right. Well, we'll, we'll I'll be playing devil's advocate then, then. Okay, so... Um, I'll shout you down. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's have your number eight, then, bud. Uh, number eight. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, me. Uh, my number eight. Right. I I will... This is one of those films. Um, you'll get this, um, and I'm sure everybody listening will get this. You were just saying about being at work, uh, you're the person who say, people say, oh, have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, what's this? This is a night, right? You'll also get, I'm, I'm sure you'll get people who say, oh, what good films have you seen? Like, yeah, fucking right. Right? Now, what good films I've watched, 
average Joe people might not like. You know, they they might not take. You know, it might not be the sort of films that they want to watch. There are a lot of films that I wouldn't suggest. I'm not going to suggest having just watched a. 70s Italian horror film to somebody who I know really liked a Matt Wahlberg film. Yeah. You know, I like Matt Wahlberg, I'm not dissing Matt Wahlberg. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to do that. So but are you is... saying your number eight of the year is Contraband? No, the Contraband was my number 11. Um, but this is a film where I would, I would heartily recommend it to anybody and I will argue with anybody who says, really? To me? And I have argued with people about it. My number eight is Magic Mike. I think it is a fucking outstanding film. Of course, Magic Mike is the it, it, it's it's the stripper film. You know, it's Channing Tatum playing a stripper. It's very similar in tone and everything to something like Showgirls. You've got Channing Tatum, Alex Perfer, and Matthew McConaughey in who has had a stellar year again. I think we have to admit on that one. Uh, I've always liked Matthew McConaughey, but in this, he's brilliant playing the over-the-top uh, Dallas, who owns the club and runs the dance review that um, Chine Tatum's Mike uh, works at. It's it's a film that is fun. It's supposed to be fun. It wears its funny sleeve. Steven Soderbergh has made an exploitation film and has managed to gross... A hundred and sixty, fifth hundred, or sorry, yeah, hundred and sixty-five million that it gross. I think roughly, um, hundred and sixty-five million dollars worldwide off an exploitation film, which is loosely based around Channing Tatum's actual life. Mm. The stripping scenes in it are brilliant. They're as they should be. They're shown almost in full. The dancing in it is great. Uh, Channing Tatum for us proved that. He can actually act. You know, he's a decent actor. I, you know, I've seen him in quite a few things, but I've never seen him be bad in anything. I've seen him in bad films, but I've never seen him be bad in anything. Um, and in this, he's brilliant. You know, there's a few scenes where he actually gets to properly act and not just be kind of attractive and have a great body and you know be good at the dancing bits and all that. That's like that. There's there's the great scene where he's talking to. Um, the uh, Alex Pepper's um, sister, uh, who he's kind of forming a relationship with, where he's explaining to it, to her, you know, that this isn't what he's all about, but really he's not explaining to her, he's explaining it to himself. Yeah, 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 totally. At the same time, realising that actually it is what he's all about. That scene where she's by the poolside? Uh, no, the scene... Where she's in the garden of her building. Oh, that's guy. Sorry, no, totally. That is what I meant. Um, when he's he comes up looking for Alex Pettifer. Uh, and yeah, 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 yeah. That scene's fucking brilliant. Like he's uh, yeah, he his acting is great. It's, it's, it's all facial because at the point he's kind of saying, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't stop it or anything like that. And you know, and she basically says, you, know, you said you look after him, you didn't. He's like going, well, I, I, and then he realizes that no, he didn't. You know. Before all that happens, he does go Alex Pettifer's character and say, we're going to get fucked up tonight. You know, it, it, he does drive everything that Alex Pettifer does. Yeah. You know, he, he's the one that Alex Pettifer looks up to. And uh, it's that moment where he realises, you know what, I, I am more Magic Mike than I am the Mike that I think I am. And he, he's, he's fallen into that comfort zone and... It, 
he enjoys it and he he lives it and it, it takes somebody else to shake him out of it and it, it, he knows that it's either it's all or nothing he's either got to completely move out of it or he goes with it and he accepts that that's the life he has and he doesn't want to be Dallas in another 10 years time um, I, I'm looking forward to the sequel prequel or whatever comes because I think it's just a very engaging character um, Soderbergh very much gives it on a directorial piece uh, gives it up to um, to Tatum and the, the story and the writing and very much kind of acts like acts very much like a director for hire but not like a hacked out to it's still very stylish and it's very much there's just still great little tinges the fact that it, it almost the colour palette of it changes ever so slightly at times uh, I think Noel mentioned uh, at points it feels like a hangover when it's during the day yeah 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 it, it does it does feel like that and it's it's a great fun movie um, that I watched it on my own in a cinema. I was the only guy there, and there was a load of women there, and I think I had more fun with it than they did, uh, because I, just, I fucking loved it. I thought it was a great film. And if there are any men out there who are not watching it because they're thinking, Christ, what's that, that, those strippers? Uh, which I very much doubt are on. I, I, yeah, totally. Odeberg factor. But the amount of people that I know where I've mentioned it and gone, oh, it's about male strippers. Like, yes, it is about male strippers. But did you watch the full Monty? I'm like, well, that's different. Why? There's more. It, I think it's a great film, and it's thoroughly worthy of my number eight. And it, it took me actually. I had to convince my wife to watch it, um, and she loved it when she did watch it, and not just because she got to look at all the attractive men. However, it did make me look at her and go, "I need to get myself in a shape this year." <laughs> not that, but shape. Yeah, I yeah, it definitely. I, I don't know. It definitely makes me want to jog more. That's for sure. But um, <laughs> I, I, I'm cranking up on the yoga. Yeah, nice. And um, fuck it, off a seven million dollar budget as well. It, it did nearly 170 million dollars. Uh, that's and that's insane. That's absolutely insane. Uh, it doesn't look seven million dollar movie. No, it look. It looks like a thirty million dollar movie. It looks like. To be fair, it looks like a lot of the cast members deferred their salary in, in, uh, in and got points on the film instead, and probably made a shitload more money because of it. Frankly, yeah, I mean, apparently McConaughey basically um, said got sort of wind of it um, <laughs> at a party and said, "I want in, I want in," and Tatum said, "Do you know what? I want you to play." It. Dallas, he said, but we just, we can't afford you. Yeah. And McConaughey basically went, trust me, I'm not worried about money anymore, put me in the fucking movie. And and there are, whether it's true or not, there are rumours out there that McConaughey basically did it to get the movie made and just said, I don't, whatever. <laughs> and possibly didn't even get fucking paid for it. Do you know, I mean, in the end, I reckon he probably got, he, he probably got something on the back end. I'm, I'm sure he did fine out of it, you know. Oh, it'll, it'll have got points, but it's the sort of thing where if it had fallen flat on its ass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got nothing, but he didn't. And he is brilliant in it. Yeah, that's the thing. He's an awful lot of fun, but he has got that sinister edge to him when he needs to as well. Like that kind of, the, almost like Mephistopheles. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic as McConaughey in that. 
Right, what's your number eight? My number eight. Uh, I'll be fairly quick on this one, I suppose, because there's not too much to say about it. But it is just like my my favourite comedy of the last few years, frankly, uh, is 21 Jump Street, um, which I've seen three times now. Uh, it makes me laugh more on every watch, uh, in, in all honesty. Um to chirp in now and say it's going to come up later. Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, I'll, I, I, I'll just say, I'll, I'll say my brief piece. Um, you say, say your bit now and then we'll, we'll, we'll probably discuss it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Charlie, uh, uh, yeah, sorry? We'll get balls deep into it later. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, Channing Tatum and Jenny Hill are great. Um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, two uh, inspired directors, frankly, and they're doing the Lego movie next, and I can't believe I actually want to see the Lego movie, but I do. But we'll move on. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to that later. So, um, at this point, are we doing top five pleasant surprises or, uh, I suppose, bottom five disappointments first? We'll, we'll do disappointments because we've already had a bit of euphoria with films we liked. We'll take it to films that we not maybe didn't dislike, but disappointed by and that way we can kind of we can keep this roller coaster going in, in fairness there are films I did I, I, I actually all the films in my disappointments I disliked but they were relative what I was expecting to what I got kind of level that's, I, that, I think that, that's, that's it none of the none of the films in my disappointment <laughs> are in my bottom five um, because I've tried to keep the, all these lists separate but nothing crosses over okay I mean there's there's I don't know. There's a couple in mind, but never mind. Um, so we'll we'll go through these fairly quickly, I suppose. Uh, your number five uh, disappointment. Right, my dis- number five disappointment is a film that is actually in my top twenty. Um, but I, this is one where I think disappointments and pleasant surprises are very much, very much personal things sure. and can be uh, based around what you're expecting going in. I was expecting this film, I would never have admitted it, but I was expecting this film to be in my top three of the year, and it it's not. It's about number 18, which is quite a disparity away. Sure. I was out nailed on show. If you'd have asked me at the start of the year, what's going to be your number, what do you think is going to be your number one film? I'd have said this film, and it's The Master. It's a great film. It's a brilliant film. It's an 8 out of 10 film. <laughs> But it, it, putting it as number five in my disappointment is a lesson for me. It's a lesson that I need to stop building films up so much because I love the director and I love the cast. And I'm at the moment guilty of doing it for Django Unchained. At the moment, I'm going in there. That film, for me, in my brain, is a nine out of fucking ten. And I always go into films starting them at a six out of ten. So if I start them at a six out of ten and they start getting points to get better or they start getting points to get worse. And I try and start every film at a six. But every so often, I have a film where I can't help but start them higher. Yeah, sure. And the master, I went in too high with, and it just it fell short of my expectations, which is no slight on the film. It's my fault, so that's why it's in my disappointments. Not because it's a disappointing film. It's in there as a lesson learner, saying that I need to lower my expectations with films, because then I'll appreciate them more when they are good. Fair play. Um, I'll just say my number five disappointment was uh, the campaign, uh, just because I thought Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis starring in a uh, Jay Roach directed political comedy satire. Jay Roach did do um, 
game change and uh, recount. So, uh, you know, he's got form in the political sphere as well as in the the goofy comedies. And uh, I think this should have been far, far more acidic. Uh, It should have been sharper um, and, and, and just generally should have felt like they actually made some effort um, it, 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 it should have had some political jokes in it as well that weren't as as obvious and as as, as hackneyed as they were it, it felt incredibly lazy yeah yeah absolutely and, and that's all I've got to say about the campaign really your number four Mark uh, my number four um, is a film that seems to split opinion. Um, I love the director. Um, I love everybody that's in it. But it didn't work for me. Uh, my number four is Looper. Um, it just... I, I, I think I need to watch it again. I might I might change my mind. I'm, I'm always open to change my mind. I definitely will give it another go because I like the director and like all the cast. Um, but it, it felt it got... I felt it got too muddled up in its, itself. It, it, it crossed itself over so many times and it, it felt too short. It felt like it could have been made longer and it could have made more out of certain pieces and I'd have, I'd have enjoyed it more. And it's not often I say a film was too short, it's, it's too long. But that just felt, it felt like it, it tried to tell too much story in too quick a time and it, it stumbled around itself too much. Uh, I really, really wanted to love it and I just, I didn't. Again, it's not a bad film. I just felt it didn't live up to the potential that it had. Yeah, um, I, I liked Looper. I'm actually, I'm quite looking forward to re- uh, rewatch. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's not troubling like my top 20 or probably even my, my top 40, to be honest. Um, uh, even though I, I liked it, it just, and it also felt like the kind of, slightly flavor of the month where it was the film everyone loved for about a week and then just like seemed to get forgotten about quite quickly uh even though uh you know it got a wga nomination for the screenplay it's got a chance at an oscar nomination for the screenplay but um comes out of blue uh end of the month in the uk and i'm uh i'm certainly up, up for giving it a, another go as well because I, I i know what you mean i think yeah i mean i'll i'll i'll, I'll... I'll probably end up buying it on on, on Blue because I didn't dislike it. It just didn't quite work for me. One thing I am really about is the fact that it did make money because I think Rian Johnson is an exceptional filmmaker. Um, I think that this may be the ambition behind it just seemed to not quite go. I'd like to think that, that, that there might be a director's cut out there somewhere because I, I don't see how he could have had that much of an idea and uh, and try to put it into under two hours. That's fair. That's fair. Right. So, uh, what's your number four? Uh, I mean, my number four is a film that I tried rewatching last week um, because I thought I'd give it another go, and I got about half an hour in and switched it off again because um, it was just annoying me. Uh, my number four is the rather um, distastefully misogynist and actually forgetting to be scary anthology film VHS, uh, which, which was sign up three, by the way. Oh, well, <laughs> beautifully links in then. Um, just like, I mean, I, I think you, you said it really well after the Friday Fest screening. It, it is just basically frat boy filmmaking. Um, yeah. 
I mean, go go yeah, go ahead. Uh, it, it is. It's it. It's a great idea, and I'm sure. Uh, is it VHS or SVHS? SVHS, the next one? yeah, which is great. I title. like the idea that they're gonna um, that, that this is an idea they're gonna run with, and they're gonna do more over time, and taking new directors. Like that idea. Looking forward to it. I just felt that this was. It was. Like I say, it was frat boy filmmaking. It was too much, oh, look, tits, oh, look, tits, oh, look, tits, oh, look, tits. Yeah. And it'd be like, very good. Could something else happen? Perhaps something scary with a horror film? Um, The bits didn't work. Uh, The Ty West segment showed the absolute worst bits of Ty West rather than the absolute best bits of Ty West. Cyrus is great at building up tension, build up tension, build up tension, build up tension, and then bang! And that's what it's supposed to be. But Ty West's thing was build up tension, 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 and what? Alright. Huh. Yeah. Was that it? Oh, fuck, seriously, was that it? Yeah. Alright. I just, again, really, really wanted to like it, didn't like it. Also, think they have absolutely traded on the VHS. It's a great piece of marketing because that film has got fuck all to do with VHS at all. Mm. They should have called it DSR because <laughs> none of it is VHS. It is it's clever marketing. It's well done, but all the marketing of the VHS <laughs> like that bullshit. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. I yeah, I don't know. Just um, it uh. I, yeah, I, it just kind of it also summed up uh, Fright Fest as an experience for me this uh, well last year where it was just it was a lot I don't know it just felt like a lot of films where people thought they were being very very clever by doing very immature things and uh, trying to get praise for it and uh, just nah didn't didn't do it for me at all so uh, okay so that was your number three. As we're talking about this, my wife is in the other room watching me. I noticed that on Twitter, actually. I'd be intrigued to see what she thinks. Um, cause... I, 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 th- I think she's going to like it a lot more than me. That, well, I th- that, that'll be interesting. I mean, I tried, I started watching it with Donna, and like after half an hour, she was like, look, you can just watch this by yourself if you want to. I'm not into this at all. But um, then again, I mean, like she you know, is not a big fan of our look tits, our look tits. So, um... That's what they should have called it. By the way, if the makers of VHS want to quote, by all means, use that. Oh, look, tits. Yeah. Mark Foster doing the monkey. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, my number three is a film that's going to come up on another list later on for me, uh, so I'll talk about it then. It's a fantastic theory of everything. Uh, your number three, Mark. My number three was VHS. Oh, sorry. What was your number four? No, you did your number four, didn't you? So yeah, your number two. My number two is This Is 40. Um, I I was really looking forward to This Is 40. Um, I enjoyed those characters most out of Knocked Up. I accepted the fact that they were they were those characters, but they weren't those characters in a way, um, which is kind of what they said was, for, you know, it's a sort of sequel because it's those two same characters, but it, it it's they're going to be slightly different. Um, and I, the, the trailers were great. I, I liked the idea that it was about you know a family that you know just turned fourteen. It was looking back on you know how that affects them. We're really looking forward to it. I like Leslie Mann, like Paul Rudd. Um, 
I actually like Judd Apatow films uh, as well. I, I, one of the few people out there that I actually, I dug funny people. Um, but this is Fortune should have been called Stuff That Happened at the Apatow House. <laughs> um, it's, it's not a film. It's a selection of things that happened um, with it, 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 at home with Leslie Mann and Judd Apatow um, to the point of where their kids are cast as the couple's kids. Um, and all he's done is he's replaced himself with Paul Rudd because Paul Rudd looks more likeable. Um, and uh, it's just argument, 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 argument. It is two and a bit hours. It's over two hours. You know, Looper tries to tell a massive story in under two hours. Yeah. Judd Apatow tries to tell the story of two people arguing in over two hours. There are no characters in it that are likeable. They're all assholes. Every single one of them. And nothing happens. I fucking love films where nothing happens. But it's just two people arguing. Married couples argue and they bicker a lot. And it, it's not arguing when you're a married couple and it's little arguments like that. It's bickering. But what they were bickering about, it was like, all right, so you're bickering about the same thing over and fucking over. The funniest joke in it is when he's playing um, something, he's playing, he's playing Word with Friends yeah. on his iPad on the toilet, and she comes in and says, who takes a shit for that long? And he goes, John Goodman. That, that's <laughs> the only joke in it. And do, do, do you know why? Because it's probably true. And it just, it fails on so many levels, and I really, really fucking wanted to like it, because I like everybody in it. I like Judd Apatow, but it just, it is the most self-indulgent film I've seen this year. It is, it, it, it's very much like he's gone, people will be entertained by watching us. It's like people, it's like, like people who, average people who think that they've had a really interesting life go, I could write an autobiography. No, you couldn't. Nothing interesting has happened to most people. You couldn't write an autobiography. All the interesting things that have happened to you are interesting to you because they happened to you. That is what that film was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like, it doesn't help itself that the, the film has about 20 plot threads and it fo only focuses down on one in like the last 20 minutes. And... I don't want to get too spoilery for, for people, but the idea of what they blame their problems on, I thought that was going to come back around in a kind of a cynical kind of way, but it's just like, okay, no, apparently that is what is causing their problems. Like, yeah. there, There's one scene where they decide what it is, and then it's yeah. almost like the problems between them are just completely gone. And the thing is... This film basically feels like 20 minutes after the end of the film, they'll be driving home in their car, they'll start an argument, and then it will just all start again. It doesn't exactly. feel like there's any resolution at the end of it. It's bizarre. For 30 seconds, I'm going to go super spoilery. So for 30 seconds, everybody, if you haven't seen the film yet, just sort of just hit that little button that takes you forward a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I'll say now is, right, they argue for two hours. Two and a bit hours, they argue, they argue, they argue, they argue, and then, then, you know, everything falls apart, everything's terrible, 
or um, what he signed Ryan Adams. Oh, I could do, couldn't I? He hasn't got a label at the moment. Problem fucking sorted. <laughs> that's a yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? I like to think that he went backstage and went, Ryan was like, sign, and Ryan was in one of his bad moods, and he went, fuck you, you cunt, I hope you get divorced. And then wrote an album about it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Right, that's my number two biggest disappointment. What is your number two biggest disappointment? Uh, my number two biggest disappointment is Ridley Scott's Prometheus. I'm not going to bore people. But I, I'm not either, because that's my number one disappointment. And I think we've bored the world <laughs> with our disappointments for Prometheus. Yeah. What I will say, though, is I watched I watched it again. Still think it's shit. Um, I also watched all the, um, the outtakes, the deleted scenes. Um, and that backs up what me, you and Noel said, very drunk in um, the bar across the road from Noel's house after watching it, that they didn't have a fucking clue what they were writing and they were making it up as they were going along. Because if you watch those deleted scenes, you can see that it could have gone any one of four or five different ways. Yeah, straight up. Um, I'll say I've now seen Prometheus three times. I saw it twice in the cinema. After my initial disappointment, I watched it again because I had to be sure. That's how, like, just, uh, uh, yeah, all right, let's just... We, we, we can't talk. We, 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 I think we've spent, I would say, we've spent maybe 15, 16 hours talking about our disappointment in Prometheus. It might well be, like, literally, literally, literally folks, we, like, we, after Prometheus, because we, we all saw it together, like, I thank Christ that Claire was there and, and Becky was there for Donna to be able to talk to, to people. Because it was you, me and Noel, drunkenly. Well, actually, in that pub, it, it was just Donna and Claire. But, like, you, me and Noel, for a good solid four or five hours, just <laughs> talking about Prometheus. And I remember particularly Noel at first being all right with it. And the more drinks we had and the more talk we had, the more he got annoyed. And it was it was a sight to behold. Um, it, it was beautiful. Yeah, it, it was. Um, and uh, my so that was your number one. My my number one, uh, the master, to be honest. Um, really? Yeah, I've 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 called on it quite significantly uh, since our review. Frankly, our review is probably the most positive I've sounded on the master. Um, <laughs> it looks great. And the performances are great, and there are moments that are great, but it's, I don't know, it just, it, I'm not that interested in the characters. Um, I, I'm not at all impressed with about the last 10, 15 minutes of the film. If it had ended with Freddie on the motorbike and Philip Seymour Hoffman's reaction to him driving off, yep, I, I agree. Uh, it would have probably gone up a half a star for me right there, frankly. Um, I'm up for giving it a rewatch, but I do kind of think it's what I do think it's a film that everyone is jizzing over now. But I I do think in it ten years that. time, yeah, in ten years time, it's gonna be as forgotten as Punch Drunk Love. But uh, uh, even though Punch Drunk Love doesn't deserve that, so that's my number no. one. It's the master. What the last thing I say about the master is, uh, is Paul Thomas Anderson is an exceptional filmmaker in his own right. He doesn't have to try and make a Terence Malick film. There we go. Job done. Yeah, that's a very good way of doing it. Um, okay, so let's get back into our top tens now that we've uh, got through uh, got through our disappointments. 
Uh, your number seven, Mark. My number seven is a film that uh, we watched at Fright Fest. Uh, my number seven is American Mary, directed by the Soska sisters. Um, it's a story of Catherine Isabel, who I absolutely adore. Um, and she plays a medical student who ends up um, to make ends meet um, doing some body modification bit. It's very Cronenberg. It's very gory. Um, and it, it shocked me, to be honest, because... What I was expecting out of it was it to be a, a low-budget sort of body horror-esque film. Um, and what we actually got with it, or what I actually got out of it, was this fucking super stylish, bright, vibrant-looking, massively confident film with um, a central performance from Catherine Isabel, which is exceptional, because she's not playing a very nice person, you know, her character isn't a, a great femme fatale. She's a bit of a bitch, to be honest, and a bit a bit ego-driven. Um, and it, it's the other characters around her that tend to be the, the nicer characters. But there, again, there's no real, actually, nice people in this film. They're all a little bit bad in their own ways. Um, I thought it was a great film. I'm really looking forward to watching it again. Uh, I'm not going to say too much on it, just the simple fact that it, it comes out very soon, and I know a lot of people will end up watching it very soon. All I would say is that I had, I had great, great fun with it, um, and um, I very drunkenly told uh, the directors how much I adored it, and I think I hugged um, one of the Soskia sisters a little bit too much. You know when you feel like you're hugging someone too much? I think I hugged her too much. Yeah, I, um, I missed that night. In a way, I'm kind of glad because I bet um, there was some awkwardness from everyone, not just you. The thing was, is, is the great thing was, is, is, is she seemed to be hugging me back a lot, which was nice. Um, and it, it, it didn't feel that. I just I got the feeling that I, w I was drunk and I was hugging a lot of people. Um, but that's because I was essentially just sat doing a lot of Jaeger bombs and got very fucking drunk, um, which um, John and Noel can attest to. Um, but yeah, nine or seven. Uh, it, it's American Mary. Um, I I I absolutely adored it. Thought it was brilliant. Uh, looking forward to seeing it again. And it's on a current little mini tour at the moment. I urge people to go and see it or pick up the Blu-ray. Um, it's brilliant. Uh, fair play. I'm I know not, you didn't like it. I'm, as much, I'm not going to harsh your buzz. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, so my my number seven, uh, I, I I mean I will say American Mary, uh, I'd be perfectly up for a rewatch. Uh, you know, it just I was uh, thank, frankly I was in a mood at Fright Fest for most of the weekend. So um, my my opinions on a lot of the Fright Fest films are, are probably a little bit jaded by that. Um, my number seven, uh, it is seven, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, uh, my number seven. Won't talk too much about it because uh, you said earlier you haven't seen it yet. Uh, Lee Oscar uh Holy Motors. Uh, uh, I bet it's beautiful. Sorry. I bet it's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, yes, I I think so. It's uh, very very art house, but I don't I genuinely don't think has a pretentious bone in its body. Um, it's an entertaining dissection of. Uh, where Carax thinks cinema as a medium and an art form is going today, uh, but also happens to be filled with uh, characters called Mr. Mad, basically uh, kidnapping Eva Mendes. Uh, one of the best intermissions you'll ever see in your life. 
one of the greatest, well, frankly, two two of the greatest end scenes ever, um, and, and just a, a wealth of incredible visuals. Uh, very much looking forward to seeing this again. Blu-ray comes out in a few weeks' time in the UK, and uh, I'm very, very up for another trip. Um, so, yeah, my number seven is Holy Motors, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll probably talk about it on Dune and a Monkey at some point when you've seen it. I'm sure we will, because the, the reason why I haven't watched it is the only way I'd have been able to watch it would have either been uh, through nefarious means or on the Curse on, on Demand system. Uh, I think the Curse on Demand system is a brilliant system, but I'm sorry, I refuse to pay £10 to watch a stream of a movie. If they lowered it down to £7, I'd have bought it, but my principles were, if it's anything more than £9.99, I'm not watching it on the on-demand service, and it was a tenner. I, so I, I my did, principles take me that far. I did watch it on the on-demand service, and I completely... I completely see what you mean. 99 times out of 100, I would not do that. But I really, really wanted to see Holy Motors. So, uh... Yeah, I, I really, really want to see it, but I think that it's one of those things where I can I can quite happily, in my mind, wait and see it on Blu-ray. Fair play, fair play, fair play. Um, okay, uh, on to your number six of 2012, Mark. My number six of 2012 is... One that kind of that sort of shocked everybody and came out of nowhere, uh, I think, a little bit. There was rumblings from uh, within sort of like the film community uh, because the trailer had been released. Uh, but then once it arrived, I think it arrived with a massive bang. My number six is The Raid, uh, which... Uh, what can you say about The Raid? It is an absolutely... Barely two seconds... It's an absolutely brilliant film. Um, it's got absolutely everything an action film should have. It is completely, totally non-stop. Uh, it's directed by a Welsh guy as well, which is strange for a film to come from, uh, you know, from that market. Definitely. But to be developed, uh, directed by a Welsh guy. Um, it is proper balls out fucking action, uh, non-stop, and it's it's wonderful, and I absolutely adored it. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you did as well. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the raid. Uh, it's it's not going to feature on my list. Um, but I, I yeah, the, I thought the action was great. I thought it had a decent story. Um, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the action really is incredible. Um, uh, but it, yeah, it, it's it's not on my list. But it, it yeah, it's really really fucking good. Yeah, I I think it just. The fact that it's so relentless from start to finish, and the story is great and makes sense, and it's so simplistic um, as a story, but it just, and also it's got it's got that wow factor. It's got that shit. How did they do that? Oh Jesus Christ! Sure. It all works so well. Absolutely, and um, I, I I don't know. I'm starting to get excited for the sequel as well because Gareth Evans has like started tweeting out little tidbits about it, and uh, yeah, the, the Raid Two is going to be one of those ones that people are going to be fucking frothing over the mouth over in a year or so, I reckon. Oh yeah, that, without question. Oh, and also to make a movie like that and have it look that good for. I'm, I'm sure it, it was something ridiculous. Like what it under 
1.1 million to make an action movie that looked that good. Yeah, that's retarded. Standing. When you consider the amount of action movies that are made for plus $50 million that look like shit. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good choice. Right. What is your number six? Uh, my number six is a film that... Um, I, I, you know, I've seen it. How many times have I seen it now? Uh, four times uh, since its release in March, and uh, I've called on it ever so slightly, but probably only because I've watched it four times. Whereas, uh, sorry, two, sorry. Okay. Whereas, um, you know, that's the most I think I've seen any uh, any 2012 film, frankly. Um, and I've, I've called on it slightly, but I think only because you know I have seen it four times. Um, Cabin in the Woods. Um, uh, I don't think it's had the impact that I kind of thought it might have the impact it, it, it might have had when it um, uh, when it uh, first came out, but it, it remains a very very fun, uh, both biting and affectionate uh, tribute slash parody of the horror genre. Uh, uh, cast are all uh, likable, you know, uh, they're they're all a lot of fun. Uh, really really great third act. Um, and uh it, it's just entertaining from start to finish really um yeah it's uh it's one that like i don't know it kind of feels like it's it's already been a little bit forgotten and uh but here here i'm giving it it's it's due at least in my opinion so number six cabin in the woods yeah uh, cabin in the woods had i not rewatched it recently would have probably got it in my number 10 it probably would have been my number 10 but on the second rewatch i just i, I saw in it Things that I didn't see in it the first time, I still really like it. It's still in my, I think it's number fourteen in my in my list. Um, but there were just certain points that I picked up that I was like, huh, right, ah, that I just that just kind of sorted it a little bit for me. I picked a few kind of things that I maybe noticed. This, the second time I watched it, I didn't notice the first time because I was just having such fun with it the first time. Um, but like I said that again, said that it'd been nitpicking. I still really liked it and still thought it was really good. But the second watch just just pulled it down that little bit for me. Yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like now I've seen it like four times in a year. It'll probably be a while before I get around to it again. But then I think when I do get around to it, I think I will just be like, yeah, this is a really fun film. You know, but um, that's yeah. I think I think that's that's fair enough, Mark. It definitely it doesn't quite have the kick in the ass that it does the first time round for sure. Um, okay, so we're gonna uh, break it off again. Oh, we, no, no, break, do we break off now. We break, no, we break off after, after number five. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, after number. My apologies. Yes. All right. Uh, so, Mark, what is your number five of the year, my man? My number five of the year. Uh, what I will say is. My number two to five, no, my, my number three, four, and five are almost interchangeable. They're the ones that, I, that I've kind of been lifting and moving around. Um, my number five is The Dark Knight Rises. Um, I, I'm i a huge Batman fan. Um, I adore the Batman universe, the Batman world. Um, and my two favourite Batman characters, with the exception, obviously, of Batman, uh, are the Joker which was you know, magnificently portrayed in um, The Dark Knight. And my other favourite character has always been Bane, 
um, just because the the mythos and everything about him uh, has always appealed to me. The fact that he's the only um, well, the only sort of major uh, villain within the Batman universe that can physically go toe to toe with Batman. Um, and that's what I like about him, the fact that he is just, just this pure driving force. Um, if I'm honest, the film that I will probably watch more uh, out of all the 2012 releases um, will be The Dark Knight Rises. I will watch it over and over again. But, and I, I quite easily could have put it at my, uh, you know, higher up, probably at my, at my number one quite easily. But I wouldn't have been putting it there because it was my favourite film. I would have been putting it there because I'm a huge Batman nerd. It would have been there because of that. You know, I have a collection of Batman t-shirts. I have a collection of Batman pants. I have a Batman wallet, which I use. It's not just I have one. It's my wallet that I use. And I'm sat here looking at a bookshelf full of Batman graphic novels. So I think all that sways my opinion of it. Um, I think it was a brilliant closing to uh, Christopher Nolan's exceptional trilogy uh, I think um, Tom Hardy was magnificent as Bane, the fact that he's, he's essentially he's acting through you know this mask all the time and it's the eyes that do, that do the acting um, in it I love that um, don't buy the bullshit about the voice uh, think it's absolute nonsense think somebody mentioned it and then people have run with it and it's bandwagon jumping um, I know people have you know have said Oh, what about this? What about this? And pick, you know, I picked holes in it, and it's the same thing as um, as why I I I could quite easily pick a bajillion holes in a certain other big comic book franchise film, but I don't want to because a lot of people enjoyed it, and I'd be doing it just to be a twat, and I I, I feel a little bit like that. I feel a little bit defensive in some ways about the Dark Knight Rises because. I think that people are picking holes in it because they want to try and bait people who really liked it. And I don't see the point in that. Um, I adored it, thought it was great. Uh, if other people didn't, fair enough. But it, it closed the trilogy magnificently for me. I also think that it, this is Batman's movie. Um, uh, I think I said it well, on Cinerama. This is, you know... Dark Knight was the Joker movie. This is Batman's movie. Um, I thought it was brilliant, and I, I absolutely adored it. So my number five is The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I, I think that's absolutely fair enough. You know, I mean, again, it's like what, what I was saying with um, you know Noel's opinion of the Avengers, the fact that it you know it managed to work. And I mean, obviously, we've had a couple of other Nolan uh, Batman films, but the fact he was able to end the uh, the trilogy in a, in a really satisfying way as well. Like it just it ends the arc completely. And though yes, you can say there are you know certain aspects of uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character that could continue on. At the same time, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it is sequel baiting. It's Christopher Nolan saying this universe is going you know this universe is going to live on. It's just you might not see it. You might not see it. You know, I, I don't think he wants to show it. I don't. I don't think there should be. Sequel. I think, and I also think that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is is of the ilk where if if Warner Brothers came to him and went, we'll give you twenty million and ten percent of the gross to do the next film. I think he's of that that way where he go. He's no one involved. No, then no. Yeah. 
Totally. I, 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 I do think it's that. And also, the one, the, the big one that people keep on coming back to me with of, of, of how did he get back to Gotham? That is the big plot hole people keep on seeing me to be back to, and people keep on throwing at me. I can answer that. I can answer how he got back to Gotham. <laughs> He's fucking <Yeah>. Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, if you're going to try and pick a hole, <laughs> pick a fucking better fucking hole. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah pretty much. Uh, what is your number five? Um, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. How did he get back? Yeah, he's Batman. It's like, and I'm so, yeah, I mean, I know you're saying you, you don't want to pick holes. People who say that, how the fuck did Mark Ruffalo get back to the New York Times Square, and how did he know they were all there? Yeah, how how does how does Iron Man have a nuclear power plant in his chest? Do you know how? Because they're not set in the real world; they're set in versions of a real world. Yeah. There we go. You have to basically also as well. If that's your hole, if that's the biggest fault you can find with it, right? Don't watch films. Stop watching them, because Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and that's where we're going to cut it for part one. So uh, come back for part two of our 2012 in review show in a couple of days, and you will find out my number five, and we will go on from there. So, uh, again, apologies that you're not getting the show all in one hit, guys, but um, server stuff. So it should be up Friday, and uh, we shall speak to you then. Cheers.